0: Morning, on a uh, passage of Scripture in a vein that I have never ministered before, and uh, uh, just a very unusual uh, ministry and uh, an unusual uh, revelation that the Lord has given concerning uh, this passage of Scripture. The entire story I want to minister from, and uh, it's a story of Gehazi, who was Elisha's disciple. And you who are uh, Bible students are familiar that, uh, that uh, Naaman, the Syrian, a great Syrian general uh, who had leprosy, came down and was ministered to by Elisha, dipped seven times in the river Jordan, was gloriously healed and offered to, uh, brought a great treasure down with him, offered this to Elisha, and Elisha refused to take anything from him. And then as Naaman was headed back into the land of Syria, with a glory of healing and wonderfully converted to the living God, Gehazi, Elisha's disciple, followed after him, caught him, and said to him, "Uh, My master's changed his mind because there's a couple of Bible students have come down from the sons of the prophet uh, Mount Ephraim, and uh, we need a a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And uh, then when he went back, you remember the story that Elisha called him in, and uh, said to him, uh, Gehazi, uh, from whence comest thou? And, and uh, Gehazi said, uh, Thy servant went nowhere. And uh, someone, I think it was Dr. Van Cleve, preached uh, a number of years ago from this passage of Scripture, and he entitled his sermon, The Man Who Went Nowhere. And so I um, am impressed to speak from this passage of Scripture concerning this man's uh, sin. Gehazi, and I have never ever in 20 years pastoring preached on the subject that I'm preaching this morning, but because of events of recent weeks, I felt uh, impressed that we need to outline for you the great danger of the sin that sees Gehazi. Someone has written, sin has many pots in which it brews, but lying is the handle that fits every pot. Sin has many pots in which it brews, but lying is the handle that fits every pot. We've had a, a very unpleasant experience locally, and uh, a, an experience of some people that were caught up. Like I have never experienced before, I've preached 20 years, never have ever experienced what we just came through. Never. Nothing even close to it. There's a vast difference this morning between firing somebody because they disagree and firing somebody because they're a liar. There was one little bit of information that passed that was interesting. Most of the congregation who remembers this church, we had some property given for the sale and to be put into, into church planting. And from that single circumstance, it was told that everybody in this church had quit tithing. The church had going down the tube. We had to sell that property to survive. Well, that was interesting to me and the council because we probably have never been in better shape concerning the giving of the people. We're not wealthy, but people are still giving to God, and we thank the Lord for that. That was told deliberately. There's a vast difference this morning between... The exercise of pastoral authority and Jonestown. Great gulf fixed. And I do have pastoral authority. I thank God that I use that to serve the people. But there's a vast difference. And so, because of the circumstances involved that involve you and I, and we're not disconnected from. The temptation that lies there. I felt impressed that it would be well that we would spend some time this morning to examine Gehazi's lie. I want to just read one verse of scripture, and this is 2 Kings 5.25, and that verse is before us. But he went in, stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. That's cold. But it was only the fruition of something that had transpired in Gehazi's life before. Well, let's think for a moment concerning Gehazi's life. Here we have a man, and in the circumstances of this entire chapter, and it would do well that you read it and meditated over it and prayed over it, we begin to get an understanding of what lying really is. Lying actually is a violation of trust. You see, confidence and trust is a hinge pin of all society. Our society cannot function without confidence. It cannot function without trust. And this is why one of the Ten Commandments, one of the cardinal principles of human conduct in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. This is couched in legal terms. It gives us the understanding of a man that would sit in court And someone says, now will you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And a man says, I'll tell that truth. And it's couched in that phrase. God said you will not bear false witness. Because society cannot function, my friend, without Truth without confidence, without us depending that those around us have some integrity of character, without those with whom we live, without those with whom we deal, without those with whom we associate, have some kind of integrity, of truthfulness, and we can put confidence in what they say. Someone has said that confidence is to society what cement is to a building it holds it all together. And the book of Proverbs says this morning, A man that heareth, or that beareth rather false witness against his neighbor, is a club of war, and a sword, and a sharp arrow. The prophet of old picks up this truth, and as he picks it up, he says, A man that is a liar is a person that bears a fatal blow to those to whom he tells, and to whom he tells about. And so we're dealing this morning with something very, very serious. And we find in the life of Gehazi that Gehazi betrayed his trust. He ran to Naaman. Naaman has been gloriously healed by the miracle of God. Naaman is going his way back into Syria. Elisha said, You will not take anything that's from you. And he sent a fortune back in with Naaman, back into Syria. He would take nothing, but Gehazi caught him and the first words that come out of Gehazi's mouth look, read them for yourself in that chapter is my master has sent me now he says my master sent me because there's two young men have come out of Mount Ephraim of the sons of the prophets and uh, we've suddenly decided uh, that we've changed our mind. God no longer can support Himself, uh, and we need you to give to Him. And so we want you to give uh, a talent of silver and two changes of garments uh, because this is a desperate need. And Naaman never hesitated a moment. He said, Why, of course, take two talents. And he bound it up, and he took it, and he loaded it on his servants, uh, and he went his way and went that way. Proverbs 21, six says, The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro by uh, wicked men that seek uh, death. Now, that's a serious statement, is it not? Alexander McLaren says that such glib ingenuity that was Gehazi's in lying augurs or reveals long practice in the art. Now, this wasn't something that just came up on Gehazi. All of a sudden, he seized with an intention, and so he just goes running off after Naaman, and as he catches Naaman, he said, hey, uh, wait a minute, my master has sent me, and there's two young Bible children. That didn't just happen to Gehazi in that instant, but Alexander McLaren well spoke what he said. Such glib lying revealed that he had long practice in that art. And so we begin to see a betrayal of character, and we begin to see that Gehazi's lie was something that had grown to such tremendous and astounding proportions, but it did not begin uh, all of of a sudden. But uh, basically, lying is a violation of a trust. You see, confidence placed this morning bears tremendous obligations and responsibilities. Here is Gehazi. Gehazi is not there as the servant of Elisha because of his own talent. He is there because God is working with this man, and the position he holds, he does not hold by his own capability, or by his own genius, or by his own ministry, but he's there being trained, and the position, the influence he has is Elisha's influence. And when he goes to Naaman and stops him in the road, Naaman does not stop because of something that Elisha or that, or that Gehazi has done. Naaman stops, he hears the words, he gives honor to this man only because he's Elisha's servant. You see, when we place confidence in people, there's a tremendous obligation that they bear And there's a tremendous responsibility that comes upon them. Naaman recognized Gehazi. He recognized that he was Elisha's servant. And because he recognized that he was Elisha's servant, he stopped. And because of that association that he had, he uh, listened to him. And Gehazi lied to him and used the position that was given to him for his own purposes. Now, the insanity of this is, and there's nothing as blinding as uh, as a sin of lying. Well, someone who's caught up in the habit of lying is someone that has totally lost the capacity, and, and this is total insanity, because Elisha had eyes in the back of his head. See, this man knew what was going on. And when, uh, when uh, Gehazi stopped uh, Naaman in the pathway, and he turned, uh, Elisha, who was sitting in his house, uh, saw that transpire, saw Naaman get out, and heard uh, uh, Gehazi speak to the man. And he saw that, though he was in his tower and was in his place of prayer. He saw that transpire. And Gehazi knew that the power of God was upon, uh, was upon Elisha. And the total insanity is is that the habit of lying blinds one to spiritual discernment and the insanity was is he thought he would not be discovered and those that caught up in the habit of lying finally and ultimately prevent themselves from perceiving the truth. I was reading somewhere this morning that human speech, they've discovered this and psychologists and scientists have discovered this, that human speech is the center of all of our nervous system, and that human speech dominates our entire nervous system. Now, when we violate our constitution or we violate our conscience and we violate our being by our words that we speak, something happens inside and what happens inside is a release of powers and capabilities and the confusion of our entire being and then what we speak by our mouth then begins to overrule and begins to govern what really is inside. And in the habit of lying, you and I will lose entirely the capability of discerning what the truth really is. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. When you and I lie, when we persist in telling that which is not truth, Then we dominate our entire being. That untruth begins to permeate. It begins to work in our being. It begins to work in our faculties. And before that is finished, we've lost the ability even to know what is truth and what is not truth. Now here's Gehazi. He knew, actually, by experience that Elisha had the power and the Spirit of God upon him and that Elisha had the capability of seeing the sin that he did. But the habit of lying so uh, intervened in his being and in his nervous system and in his capability that it blinded him from the knowledge of that. And he was so insane as to think that he could get away with it. You see, lying this morning is a tremendous force. And it doesn't take any teaching to teach people how to lie. It does not take any long instruction. It's born in the heart of humanity. And I want to tell you that at the earliest age, your children have the distinct capability of lying, and they don't have to be taught it by anybody. But if you allow that to go unchecked, If you allow that to persist and you teach them that it does not matter by ignoring that, something happens to them inside that is a dangerous uh, uh, facet of human personality that later will become a deadly thing in their lives. Now, in the kingdom of God, the moment you and I are born into God's family, there comes into us the spirit of truth. Thank God. I remember when I got saved that something happened inside with me. It was just like between night and day. All of a sudden, I wanted integrity. All of a sudden, I wanted uh, uh, truth just to the very iota. I just wanted everything to just be clean and integrity. And it happened in a moment of time when I got saved. Because the spirit of truth came inside of me and took up his residence inside of me. But there's nothing as blinding this morning as the habit of lying and people who do not speak the truth ultimately prevent themselves from perceiving the truth. Whence cameth thou, Gehazi? Thy servant went nowhere. Cold turkey laid the lie upon his master in the insanity of his own spirit and the insanity of his own soul. You see, there is no business that can function, my friend, without confidence and without truth. No business can survive. There is no marriage that can survive. Unless in that marriage there's absolute honesty, there's absolute integrity. There is no church that can survive without integrity and honesty. There is no ministry that can survive without integrity of character and truth. There's nothing in society in time and eternity that can survive or that can function unless within it is built in the truth and integrity and honesty that we can put confidence one in another. Can you say amen? You can't stay married to your mate unless you can honestly believe that they are people of truth and integrity. And so, lying this morning is a violation of a trust. Secondly, from this passage of Scripture, lying is a hindrance to the spread of true religion. See, the purpose of God this morning is the salvation of the lost. And in the book of Luke, it says salvation which you have prepared before the face of all the people alike to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of my people Israel. Israel was established by God. They were a nation that were to bear the true light of the character and the nature of God. They were a people that were the one chosen people before the Gentile world, the other nations of the world, that they were to to demonstrate that God was true and that God was powerfully alive and that God wanted to save the lost. And that was a ministry of Israel. And Paul says concerning Israel in the book of Romans that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. And so here we have God's people. God's people is theirs represented by the, the prophet Elisha and his disciple Gehazi. Now here comes a Gentile. His name is Naaman. He comes from the country of Syria. He's a powerful man. He's a general in the army. He's famous in all the nations round about there. He has tremendous position. He has tremendous exposure. He has tremendous power. And as he comes there, God really does want to do a, life, a work in this man's life. But you see, Gehazi tainted the work of God. This is why Elisha said when he came back in. He said, Well, from whence camest thou? Gehazi, well, thy servant went nowhere. He said, Yes, you did go somewhere. And did not my spirit go with you when I saw Naaman alight out of the servant? Uh, out of the out of the chariot and when i saw you lie to him and receive uh, from his hands uh, the two talents of silver and the two changes of garments and then Elisha says this tremendous word Gehazi, is it a time to receive money see naaman was converted this man got saved he not only got healed but he was gloriously saved And when he came back to Elisha, his heart was overwhelmed with the living God of Israel. And he said to Elisha, he said to Elisha, I have to go back to my land. But he said, when when my Lord requires me to go into the pagan temple, I want you to understand. And I give testimony before God. It is not to worship because I'm taking two mules burdened of earth with me upon which to establish an altar under the living God, and I'm going to serve Him, and I'm going to worship Him. This man got healed, and this man got saved. Tremendous power of God struck him, and here's an opportunity now for the spread of true religion, for the spread of God's revelation, as Isaiah said, Hose! Everyone uh, that thirsts just come to the waters. And he that has no money, come by eat, yea, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, here's a man that's touched. He doesn't know anything about God. The only thing he knows about God is that this man has spoken the word of the Lord, God Jehovah, the living God of Israel. And he's obeyed that word. And God has wonderfully healed him. And his soul has been transformed. That's all he knows about the character and the nature of God. God wanted him to understand that his salvation was a gift of grace. That his salvation was something that the Gentiles could receive. He wanted his testimony to go in the earth and them to understand that the God of Israel was not a God like the heathen gods uh, of of the nation of Syria. Uh, A religion that functions on the exploitation of the people and their material resources. That this religion, this revelation of the living God was not a religion like that. But it was unique. It was a gift of God. uh, And it was free to all who would believe. He wanted them to understand that. I remember a number of years ago, there was a man who uh, come into this ministry and he'd given his heart to the Lord. The man was an alcoholic. And uh, God wonderfully transformed and, and delivered the man. He was uh, taken, I think he told me he drank eight bottles of mild Nervine a day and, a, and two pints of whiskey and, and a bunch of, uh, whole bunch of pills that he gobbled. I mean, the man was hooked on so many things. That, and God wonderfully saved that man and delivered him. But his family was divided. He was a, man, a businessman, wasn't a poor man. And I met with him one day in the church because he was concerned about getting his family and getting his wife back. And uh, he said to me, uh, Preacher, he said, uh, Can you get my wife back? And I said, I don't know if I can or not, but I can tell you what to do, and I believe God would bring her back. I can tell you how to conduct yourself. I've got enough experience as a counselor to give you some guidelines and direction. And I believe if you'll do what I tell you to do, and you'll serve God, I believe that God will bring her back. He had a great big fat wallet that was just full of $100 bills. I mean, that thing would have choked a horse. And he pulled out that wallet. He didn't know anything about God. He just got saved. And he began to throw out $100 bills. And he, he threw out about five or six. And he said, Preacher, there's a lot more where that comes from if you just get my wife and family back. And I looked him right in the eye and I said, What God's going to give to you, for you can't buy with money. Take your money and put it back in your wallet because God's not interested in uh, your bargains with Him. You can stick it back because what's preached in this building you cannot buy with money. And what God will do for you, He'll do as a gift of His grace. Now, you see, it's important this morning that the testimony of God's character will be correctly presented. And there's a trail of woe in the Bible That gives us tremendous instruction and understanding concerning those in the past. But Gehazi tainted the work of God. Is this a time to receive money? See, lying is something that has many bedfellows. Here is Cain. Cain murders his brother. God comes to him and says, where's your brother Abel? And he tells a cold, bold lie. And he says, I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, that lie was rooted in hatred. Here we have a man whose family lies. It's Joseph. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. When they sell him into slavery, they take his garment from him. They put animal's blood upon the garment, take it back to his father, and say to his father, we don't know what's happened to Joseph, but we found his garment is blood over. We suppose some lion passed through and has slain him and carried him off to some hole somewhere, and they lied. But at the root of their lying was envy. You see, lying has strange motivations and strange bedfellows. Here's Potiphar's wife. Joseph will not commit adultery with her. He runs out of his garment to stay away from her. But someone has said, hell has no fury like a woman scorned. She's not willing to let the thing lay. Her pride is wounded. Her schemes are frustrated. She cannot stand to be rejected by this man who is merely a household slave. And she lies about him and gets him thrown into prison. But at the root of her lying was her hatred for a man who frustrated her purposes. Here's the old prophet. He's in the Old Testament. He's lost the ability to speak for God. A little later we'll understand why that he lost that ability. A young prophet comes up and comes to the altar and begins to prophesy against it. The king speaks out and says, seize that man. And his arm is shriveled. And he says, pray for me that God will heal me. God heals you. And the news of this travels to the old prophet who lived in that city, but whose heart was not right with God. He says, which way did this prophet go to his sons? And he said, they went up a certain way. He said, saddle me the donkey. He rode after him. And when he found him, he lied to him and said, an angel of God appeared to me and told me to catch you and bring you back. You're to come down to my house and eat. And in the lie was rooted jealousy concerning that young man's ministry. And God slew the young man and judged him because of his disbelief of the word of the law. Here is Ananias and Sapphira. They're in the New Testament church, the book of Acts, chapter 5. They're slain in the presence of God and in the assembly because they deny the character of God. God is seeking to distribute to the world, and demonstrate to the world that he has integrity and that he has character. And Ananias and Sapphira, as the early churches, being founded, deny that, and they fall dead in the presence of God. Gehazi was seized with covetousness. He desired to have something for himself, and he lied to Naaman. Now we know what was in his heart, and what was in his heart was covetousness. Because uh, when uh, uh, Elisha begins to talk to him, he said, is it a time to receive money? Is it a time for vineyards? Is it a time for olive yards? Is it a time for gold and silver? Is it a time for men servants, and is it a time for maid servants? The reason that he said that to him was not because Gehazi had told him that, but he was reading Gehazi's heart, and Gehazi wanted far more than two talents of silver and two changes of garment. His dreams were to use the gifts of God for self enrichment. And to gain, and to make himself powerful, and to make himself rich. And this led him into the deception before his master, and he lied before Elisha. The Bible says that a poor man is better than a liar. The book of Psalms says this this morning Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischief. Like a sharp razor working deceitfully, thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. You see, this morning, lying is a hindrance to the spread of the true religion of the living God. And the Bible, as we have just read, has some awesome consequences that has to do with that. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to what I'm saying now. There's a danger this morning of the growth of sin. In James, the first chapter, we're told that every man is led aside by his own lust. It begins by desire that's outside the will of God. Then that desire conceives. And then that uh, uh, conception brings forth birth uh, of the sin itself. And the scripture says that that sin then uh, ends uh, in death. Now, sin is not static. It begins to grow. Proverbs, the 17th chapter in the 4th verse says, A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar giveth ear to mischievous tongues. You see, the thing that we need to understand is that big liars are are made by people who begin to tell little untruths. And that passage of Scripture that I just read in Proverbs says that when that begins to happen to you, something begins to happen to the faculties of our soul, and inside we lose the ability to be able to distinguish between truth and between untruth, and we will then ourselves be deceived by a lie. Revelation 22.15 speaks of this as whosoever loveth or maketh a lie. And John 8:44 says, "You are of your father, or we are of our father, if we are liars, who is the devil? And the devil abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it." Now, people do not become big liars in one fell swoop. Gehazi did not come to this place where all of a sudden he ran out to Naaman and said, Hey, there's been somebody. This was something that was in his life that began to grow and grow and grow and grow until finally it was to the preposterous point that led him in to tell the big lie, and he became so emboldened by that that he walked back into the presence of his master who was full of the Spirit of God and who had eyes in the back of his head who, when he came in the door, said to him, and he should have known this, said to him, of an element of your personality and if you do not repent and straighten that out before God there will be a time when you have lost the ability to tell what is truth and what is untruth, and you will be motivated completely beyond your control. One of the strangest circumstances I ever had was when I pastored in Eugene, Oregon a number of years ago and uh, a woman called me to her home and she was a, such a sweet little woman, and just a, she was just a, just had a just a fine little personality. And uh, she was uh, uh, she had uh, uh, she kept uh, women in her home, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm not going to go through all the details, but she told me a tale, a mind-boggling tale, uh, detail by detail, about her husband. And uh, I, I was astounded. He was a nice enough looking chap, But you know, you never know what's uh, dwelling beneath those uh, external services. And she began to tell me about this fellow and his strange goings on and wanderings in the night. And I, well, I mean, I, I was concerned about the fellow and began to work and began to try to uncover. And I was working with it. And then I was puzzled by why I couldn't get to the root of this thing. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God said to me, It's not him. It's her." <laughs> <laughs> and so I begin to think back over the things that had been told me and the preposterous statements that had been made and so, uh, later that day, this little, this, I mean, she was a sweet little girl, a little woman. She was about, uh, she was about 50 years old. She was red-haired, just vivacious, a uh, little, she was a chunky little woman, and just had personality just running all out of her. I mean, she was just really, she was just really, it was, she, it was, it was nice to know her. And her husband was just a crop. Just like you and I, he's just a plain old common guy, working for a living. And so later that day, she called me, and God had spoken in my heart, and He began to reveal to me some things, and I had some hard questions to ask her, and I asked her about three questions, and I jerked the covers off of that deception, and I had myself a hold of what's known as a pathological liar. Someone who will tell a story detail by detail, phrase by phrase, and boggle your mind, and you will never dream that that what they're saying is absolutely true until one day. And when I asked her about three questions, I mean that nice little woman with that beautiful personality disappeared, and that devil came crawling out of that frame. And I had my first experience with a pathological liar. You see, the awesome consequences of this is that when we begin to lie, something happens to our inner framework uh, and we lose the ability to distinguish truth from, from untruth and finally we lose control entirely of our personalities. I close with this. This is permanently damaging and disqualifies us from the work of God. As he stood before Elisha, Elisha says, Gehazi, the leprosy of Naaman will cleave to you. And you're going to have it as long as you live as an outward symbol of the inward character that is unclean. Sent him on his way, dismissed him from the work for which he had been training for, and we find him later, pick him up in the scriptures, he's standing before a king, When the Shunammite woman is arguing for her property, we see him standing before the king, and he's telling of the great miracles of Elisha, but he has no miracles of his own to relate. You see, something happens. Once a deliberate lie has been perpetrated, there's a moral nature that is permanently damaged. Listen carefully to me this morning. I'm not talking about the involuntary lie. I'm not talking about the, the thing that happens in this further moment. I'm talking about that rooted point to which someone comes, where they have lost the ability now, they've lost control, and something permanently damaging has transpired in their inner nature. This is why that businesses give lie detector tests to employees. It is because they have discovered that if a person is dishonest, if they will lie on the lie detector test, it means that there's a dishonest character there and at some point in the future, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but at some point in the future, that frailty of character, that weak point in their character, that dishonesty in their character, and who knows when that will happen will cause a cave-in of that personality, and they may lose thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is why they give lie detector tests to discover that pediment, impediment, in the character of their employees. Well, thank God this morning was a cure. And the call of God this morning is to put that away. Ephesians 4.25 says this morning to you and I, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. There's help and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the Holy Spirit of truth, in the work of grace that God will do within the soul. If you and I will be honest with God, God will do a tremendous work in our lives. And he'll take away a lying spirit and he'll place a strength within us. You say, how, how can that happen to us, Pastor? The only way that can happen to us is that we're honest with God. Someone said, when is a man not a liar? When he stops lying? No. It's when he starts telling the truth. Simply because you stop lying does not mean that you're not a liar. You're not a liar when you start telling the truth. Here's Aaron Moses is up on the mount receiving the Ten Commandments. He comes down and the people are in revelry. They're worshiping a golden calf in idolatry. It's one of the most preposterous tales in all the Word of God. He says to Aaron, What are you doing to the people? What's going on here? Aaron says, Man, it's not me. The people became restless and said, Make us gods to worship. And so they pulled all their earrings out and their gold rings off and they said, I just put them all into the fire, threw them in the fire and out jumped this (laughs) cat." That's one of the most preposterous tales that I have ever heard. And just before that, it said very plainly that Aaron fashioned it with a graving tool. But he was afraid to face Moses. He was afraid to face his sin. Now if you want to get rid of your sin this morning... It means that you're not going to make excuses for it and say the people that did this. Why I, I was just I was just uh, uh, there I was and just by surprise. Uh, uh, why how did I know? I just I just threw this gold into the fire and it just melted and out leaped this calf and the people just started worshiping. That's one of the most preposterous things that you've ever heard. Are you following me this morning? If you want to come to grips with your character traits, you have to be honest with it. You have to come to grips with it. First of all, you're going to have to confess that that's what you're sinning. Second thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to discipline your life because every one of us have the ability to become bald-faced liars. It doesn't leave any occupation. No occupation is is exempt. I, I talked to a lawyer, a Prescott lawyer. Thank God I've never had the misfortune to have any dealings with this man before. He was a man that had to do with our parade. And he told a brazen, bald-faced lie. And I looked him right in the eye and said, You're a liar. He said, We solicited funds in the 4th of July prayer. He saw it. He heard it all taking place. He saw the four-square men soliciting funds for our church. And that was one of the reasons they weren't going to get a fourth order to prayer. I said, Whoever says so is a bald-faced liar. He said, That's me. I said, Then you're a ball faced liar. You know, no occupation exempts you from lying. I'd really like to have that fellow handling my estate after I die. You're going to have to discipline yourself. You're going to have to confess your sin and discipline yourself. When opportunities come, every one of us have the ability to lie. It comes naturally. You're going to have to discipline yourself. And then you're going to have to have a value for truth. you have an appreciation for truth? You, do you really value what truth is? See, there's many, many things that the Bible says is truth. Proverbs says these six things. Does the Lord hate? Yea, seven are an abomination to the Lord. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imagination, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. To gain victory over the tendency to lie. There's all kinds of lies. There's the boasting lie. There's the evangelistic lie. There's the involuntary lie. There's the slanted lie. There's the lie of the half-truth. There's the lie of the misrepresentation. There's all kinds of lies. But to come to grips with this means that we have to be honest with ourselves and say before God, God, it's me. And when the next opportunity comes up, we discipline ourselves and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why Ephesians 4.25 could be written. It said, Put away lying. Let every man speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. While our heads are bowed, our hearts are before the Lord. The Holy Spirit ministers to us this morning. This is one of the character traits that often is overlooked in Christian conduct. I've never, ever preached on this sin before. But through the past several months, I've had a number of occasions through several different people that I have had to deal with that I've been confronted by God's people. They're born again. They were washed in the blood. God did a work in their hearts. I know that they were saved. But they've allowed themselves to be open to the spirit of lying until a number of people over the past several months have looked me in the eye and said to me, no, I didn't do it or I didn't say it or it's not me or I'm not guilty or whatever the circumstances were, only for me to find out later that they were indeed not telling me the truth. And my heart is greatly saddened over that because it not, as the scripture says, it ought not once be named Among the saints of God. While our heads are bowed, our sisters playing upon the organ, and God is doing a work in these lives. First of all, there are people here who have never ever given their heart and life to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that in Christ there's tremendous help, there's tremendous hope, there's forgiveness, there's cleansing, there's acceptance. In Jesus Christ, there's a blood of Calvary shed for liars, for whoremongers, for adulterers, for idolaters, for thieves, for all manner of sinners. In the blood of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness, there's help, and there's hope. And God sends his love to you and I this morning in the presence of Jesus Christ and says to you and I that if we will but accept him and take our stand, God will forgive us our sins and He'll make us accepted in the Son of God. There are people here this morning that have known the Lord, but your in your heart, is far from God. You're, you're out of fellowship and out of relationship with God. There are others here this morning that you've known the Lord and you've allowed perhaps the very sin that I'm talking about to come in. It's robbed you of victory. It's robbed you of blessing. It's robbed you of confidence. It's robbed you of joy. It's robbed you of your peace. But I tell you, God's here this morning and His presence has been felt in this building and the Lord's at work among His people and He's drawing all kinds of people unto Himself if they will but heed and act upon the Word of God while our heads are bowed. No one's moving around. Christians are praying where they are and seeking God. I wonder how many people with an uplifted hand would say to me, Pastor, this morning I'm not saved, my heart's not right, but I need God. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm asking you to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to get your heart right. How many of there would be all over this building with an uplifted hand would lift it there where you sit and say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? I'm not saved. Or maybe you've been saved, but your heart's not right. You'd like to get right with God. Would you slip your hand up right where you're sitting in the name of Jesus? I see a hand back here. I see a hand over here. How many more with uplifted hands would join these? Lift your hand right where you're seated. Say, Preacher, would you pray for me this morning? My heart's not right with God. But I want to be right before I go out of this building. Pray for me. I need Jesus. Would you lift your hand right where you are? An unsaved man, an unsaved woman. I see another hand down here. How many more will join these many people... God's moving upon your heart. How many more will join these? Say, my heart's not right this morning, Pastor. But I want Jesus to come into my life. I want God to do a work in my heart and life. Would you slip your hand up and join these that have lifted theirs and say, pray for me too this morning, Pastor. I need God. Jesus loves you. Christ died for sinners. If you identify this morning... And you acknowledge you're a sinner this morning. You qualify. And God will touch your heart if you'll acknowledge that and lift your hand. God will do a work for you before you leave this building. How many more will lift your hand and say, Preacher, my heart's not right. I'm not saved. or I'm backslidden. I want your prayers. Would you slip your hand right up there where you're seated? How many more all over this building in the name of Jesus? I see another hand down here. God bless these honest hearts. You can put it down. How many more lift your hand and join these? Say, Preacher. Would you pray for me this morning? I need God. Would you just lift it right there where you're seated? Say, I need God. These are hearts that God's touching. Oh, I tell you, God's love is in this building. God's grace and forgiveness is here. He's alive to meet our needs if we will but act upon His mercy. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts, And let him return to the Lord, for He'll have mercy upon him and to our God, for He shall abundantly pardon. Isaiah the prophet uttered those words. If you'll just take a step for God, God will do a work for you this morning. How many more will lift your hand? Join these. Unsaved man, woman, boy or girl, mother, father, lift your hand and join these. Say, preacher, my heart's not right. I want to get saved this morning. Or maybe you're a backslider. You just want to get back right with God. Would you lift your hand right where you're seated in the name of Jesus Christ? How many more? Flying lips are an abomination to the Lord. God loves you this morning, and He wants to save you. He wants to meet your need. Maybe this morning you're not unsaved, and you're not backslidden, but man, God has really laid His hand upon your heart. He's begun to move and begin to reveal to you His displeasure. You didn't think it was so serious that the little deceit, the little lie, the little breakdown of character. I tell you, my friend, it is fatal. And the Bible says he that lies against his neighbor or bears false witness is is a fatal, it's a fatal thing. It's a fatal weapon. And I wonder how many, maybe you're not backslidden or you're not unsaved, but God's dealing with you this morning about the integrity of your character and He's really put His finger upon something in your life. And this is not general. You know exactly what God's talking about. You'll join these that have lifted their hands And you'd slip your hand up and say this morning, Pastor, God's talking to me. Here's my hand. Would you slip your hand up? I see hands going up everywhere. Everywhere I see hands going up. Everywhere I see hands going up. You see, our our everyday life faces us with the opportunities for deceit, with the opportunities of deception, with the opportunities of lying, with the opportunities of untruth, with the opportunities of self-advantage, with the opportunities of covering up what really is true. And we have to make that decision every day in our life that we're going to live for God, we're going to be true to God, we're going to tell the truth. We're going to be people of truth. How many more join these? Many hands have been lifted. God's dealing with your heart. He's put His fingers specifically upon your life. I see another hand down here. Others, you lift your hand. I see another one. I see another one. I see another one. All over the building this morning. Amen. God bless these honest hearts. How many more? God bless these honest hearts. These are honest people. These are people that want God to do a work in their life. These are people that God's dealing with. These are people that God's setting free. How many more? Lift your hand. Quickly, I'm going to change the order of the service. I see another one down here. I see another one over there. Several people have lifted your hand that you want to get your heart right with God. That you want to be saved. Or you want to come back to the Lord and get your heart right. I want those people that lifted your hand. Everybody else's head is bowed. Everybody else's eyes is closed. I want you to lift your head and look me right in the eye while I'm standing on the platform this morning. Would you just lift your head and look at me? Did you really mean that, sir? I believe that you did. Right down here. Ma'am, would you just lift your head and look at me? You lifted your hand. You want to get right with God. Amen. Right here in front. Ma'am, with the orange dress and the green stripes. You lifted your hand. God's dealing with you. You mean that? Do you really mean that? Amen. Ma'am, in the blue dress right there with a necklace on the white necklace you lifted your hand did you really mean that? I believe that you did there was another one over here who lifted your hand I want you to come right out of your seat right now come down here and pray with me would you slip right out of your seat come right here and pray with me God's going to do a work in your heart amen this young lady over here wants you to slip right out of your seat going to get their heart right with God this morning going to get their heart right with God this is the most beautiful experience in all the world just kneel down there for a moment just kneel down over there man God's going to touch your heart Just kneel down right over there. I want some workers to come and pray with these. They've lifted their hand. They want to get their heart right with God. This man wants to get his heart right with God. We're going to sing a chorus in a moment right here, sir, if you just want to kneel down right here, Dad. God's going to touch your heart. I want some workers to pray with each one of these. Perhaps you didn't lift your hand this morning, but God's dealing with you. There are a great number of people that lifted your hand. You are saved. We're going to stand in a moment, and we're going to sing a chorus. Oh, how I love Jesus! Oh, how I love Jesus! And perhaps God's dealing with you, but you did not lift your hand. This is your time of opportunity, and many lifted their hand that they're not backslidden. And say, but you want God to do a work for you? You need to come and pray this morning. Let's stand. Begin to sing that. And all that God is dealing with, I want you to come and find a place to pray. Oh. How I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus. Be And oh, how I. There's still time for you. Oh, how I love Jesus because he says... Now, while these many ones have come and God is doing a work in their heart, there are many people yet. You're not saved, you really do not have a born-again experience in your. You don't have the assurance of sins forgiven. But oh, the spirit of truth is in here. And God is uh, desiring to cause you to be brought to the place where Jesus Christ can do work in your heart and in your life. And we want you to come right now. Someone will pray with you, lead you to the Son of God, lead you to a knowledge of salvation. And God will help you this morning if you'll just take a stand and you'll come and find a place to pray. Many people God's dealing with. Would you come as we sing this chorus, He's all I need, He's all I with him. God begins to move. When God's people begin to humble themselves and begin to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, begin to believe the Word of God, begin to lay hold of what God's doing, God begins to move and He begins to minister. Those of you that have responded and you're here praying this morning, you have to be honest with God. You've got to lay it out to God just like it is. You have to confess it to the Lord and say, God, this is exactly what it is. This is what my problem is. You have to discipline your life. Go from this place with the evidences of confession in your mouth and, and discipline your life the next time that there's opportunity let the spirit of god work through you and you be a confessor that I'm am I'm a person of truth and integrity and character and then you have to speak then the truth of god you have to speak the truth of everyday affair you have to speak the truth that, and until you do that your confession is not complete when is a liar not a liar when he quits lying? No. When he starts telling the truth. And that's what each of you must do. Thank God for the Spirit of the Lord. Let's lift our hands to God. Sing.